Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be you, <gasps> oh! and Zara McDonald, that would be me. <laughs> I got my way. Thank you, Zara McDonald, and hello, Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hey, team. Coming up on today's show, how Peloton became the biggest story from this week's Sex in the City reboot. Olivia Wilde says she is happier than ever with Harry Styles, and an Aussie influencer and business owner, Cops Black, for comparing running a company to having a kid. Plus, Kim Kardashian wakes her kids up every morning with a Grammy award-winning pianist and then a big bumper mailbag entry. Are you a stinge for caring if your friend is a stinge? But first, Michelle, (laughs) how was your week? It was a great week and do you want to know why? Because Max Verstappen, (laughs) my precious Max Verstappen, won the F1 championship. Now, of course, as promised, Zara and I were live streaming to about 200 listeners at about 2am in the morning. I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of people up at that time willing to log into that live. It was the most low energy live I've ever been a part of. Someone commented saying, I feel like I've accidentally interrupted a FaceTime between friends because I was like... Did you see, like, that story this week? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Well, it was also awkward because my fiancé Mitch was asleep in the other room and I didn't want to wake him up because it was 2 a.m. and it was like a Monday, like a work day, a school night. And so I was trying to be really soft. We were both trying to figure out what the fuck was going on because somehow we picked the final five laps and the last five laps were the most dramatic and confusing laps of F1 we have ever watched. Yeah, it was quite funny because I was sitting next to my boyfriend watching and I kept turning to him in the live being like, we don't understand what's happening. Can you tell us? And he was like, I don't either. Like, don't use me as an expert. All of us are just bandwagon F1 supporters. Anyway, congratulations. It was a very contentious ending. We will say that. Whatever. But Lewis Hamilton is being such a good sport about it. Oh, so, so oh Classic Lewis. I do love the dregs that we picked up on TikTok. Some people were commenting being like, what race and who is shameless? And we were like, <laughs> 
what are we glad doing? Glad to have you. Glad to have you. Anyway, I do have a recommendation for the week. Have you guys listened to the Sweet Bobby podcast? No. I, I did tell you when you said this. I think I must have listened to like the first three quarters of the first episode. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away because I feel like I could spoil the experience for listeners. I just stumbled upon this on my podcast feed, started listening, and I think I've binged the entire series in two days. So essentially, Sweet Bobby follows an online relationship between a radio host and a cardiologist and everything is not as it seems. It's not gory. It's not one of those like crime type of shows that I tend to find really anxiety inducing. It is more a confusing and challenging listen that begs the question, could this happen to anyone? And now that I've finished, I'm desperate for other people who have listened to the whole thing to tell me, could this happen to anyone? Because truthfully, sometimes I was listening going, I don't think I would have done this. I don't think this would have happened to me. But I don't know if that's me being arrogant, listening to this show with hindsight going, how could you be so dumb? How could you put yourself in this situation? So if you have listened, please, please come to me. I'm desperate to talk about it. Interesting. I need to keep listening to that. I think I must have just been listening to it while I was getting ready for something and then forgot to keep going. It is one of the weirdest stories ever, ever, ever. How was your week? Do you have a recommendation? I had a pretty good week. I was out on Saturday and I bumped into one of Annabelle's friends at the rooftop bar. <laughs> oh, I was there too. <laughs> and I was like coming into the lift and Annabelle's roommate Ella was walking out of the lift and I said, hey, Ella. And she's like, oh, Annabelle's downstairs waiting to get into the bar. And I said, great. Couldn't get in. Could we, Annabelle? No, I, I let her in. I walked out of the bar so she could come in. Aww. And so I was going down the lift and as I was going down the lift, I turned to Ollie and I was like, oh, you can fucking hear her from a mile away. I was inside a lift about two floors up and I could hear you cackling. I feel like I was saying, I need a pee. No, I loved it. I was like, I love it when you can hear people before they say them because people say that about women as a derogatory term sometimes. And you were offended when I said that. And I said, never be offended by that. It's a wonderful trait. I think I said something like, I need to work on my volume, can't I? Never work on your volume. Makes us good at this job, I hope. No, that was a nice surprise. Was it one of those run-ins where like, obviously we are all friends, but we mostly see each other at work. Was it a bit like seeing your English teacher out in the supermarket? No, well, I knew you were going to be there. And I was kind of hoping that I'd bump into you. Yeah, come on. Maybe it'd be you. <laughs> We're cool friends. Um, no, that was nice. I do have a recommendation as well. It is also a podcast that is quite high up in the feed at the moment. You might have seen it around. It is called The Harsh Reality Podcast, the story of Miriam Rivera. What is have this? Have you guys heard about no. it? I think you'll both really find it interesting. So I think you might remember back in about 2004, 2005, there was a reality TV show that came out of Britain called There's Something About Miriam. Mm. And it was a dating show where Miriam Rivera was the star of it. And she was a transgender model, but they didn't tell the men that she was transgender. And they kind of used it as this carrot to take people through the series. Now, the whole thing was like, you look back on hindsight and it's just like a horrendous car crash of a television show that basically one of the men won her heart and then they're like, actually, I'm transgender as if it's like this big gotcha. It was a really, really bizarre thing to look back on. And what this podcast series does is it tells the story both of that television show and of the story of Miriam Rivera. Miriam's not with us anymore. But she was also on Australian Big Brother. I feel like if you Google her and start to see some images, you'll be like, I absolutely remember that. But it's a really interesting show because they frame it in a way where the exploitation of her at this time in no way defines her. It really does try to paint her as this 
person who has this massive legacy who did so much Mm. in her short life. And that has been commented on in so many of the reviews that I'm reading about this show. Mm. So it's kind of not what you'd expect in many ways. It's definitely a really interesting unpacking of that TV show, but also a really important story about Miriam's legacy. Wow. I love that recommendation. I will be binging that for sure. Yeah, it's really, really good. I can't recommend it enough. I also stole it from a friend who recommended added barbecue. (laughs) So I should put that on the record. I always feel self-conscious when I realise someone else's recommendation is mine. Are any recommendations like original anymore? No, we all get them from other people. I know. I know. I know. I do. I just can't tell you the amount of times I've been called out (laughs) in my personal life for saying shit on this show that might not be mine. Just before we move on, we do have another joint recommendation, which is about all our recommendations, Michelle. It is the most meta recommendation you could imagine. So thank you to very important, very loved listener, Jen Lucas. This week, she emailed us out of the blue and basically said, girls, I have some time on my hands. I'm on a university break at the moment. And with that time, I decided to go through every episode of Shameless Podcast ever and collate every recommendation you have given and then categorize those recommendations into a handy spreadsheet that not only tells you whether it's a book, a podcast, a TV show, a movie, but also what date we recommended it and who recommended it. (laughs) Yeah, which is... A tiny bit exposing from time to time because you'll find that when we were deep in lockdown, some of those recommendations were a little bit trash. Like, watch the Olympics. Watch the Olympics. We also had go to the dog park, eat pizza shapes. What else? Not pizza shapes, thank you very much. It would have been barbecue. (laughs) Actually so fair. The superior flavour for sure. But there is some good nuggets in there and there are some less good nuggets in there. So it is up to the listeners to go through and sort of make sense of that themselves. But thank you so much to Jen for putting that together. It was an incredible email that dropped into our inbox when I saw it this week and I was like, um, guys, (laughs) we have a magician on our hands. You know what we'll do as well? We'll also try and update this recommendation sheet. It will stay in the link in our bio of our Instagram account. We will update that spreadsheet. It'll be there for you. And what good timing with summer coming up and the holidays and having the capacity to kind of binge this stuff. Yeah, to consume stuff. Exactly, Annabelle. That sounds like a job for you. I'll do it. I'll take it. (laughs) Guys, let's get into the first segment of the show. We are, of course, starting with Sex in the City, Peloton, and how a bloody bike company became (laughs) the biggest story out of the Sex in the City reboot this week. Yeah, and look, disclaimer, the Sex in the City reboot is called And Just Like That, but that happens to be the most inconvenient name of a show to try and weave into sentences in the history of the world. So let's just call it Sex in the City for the sake of this segment. (laughs) I tried to weave in and just like that, but I think it's the and. And it doesn't Mm, work. Just fucking call it Sex in the City. Before we get into the Peloton thing, have we watched the first couple of episodes? The first two, yes. We have. We have. What do we think? What would we rate it out of 10 so far? Like it was entertaining, but a seven. Yeah, I would say like a five or six. I'm not like a long time Sex in the City fan. Michelle got me into it in lockdown this year. I thought the dialogue was a tiny bit cringe and hard. A tiny bit. I'm trying to be polite. It was hard. <laughs> it was hard but also an easy watch and entertaining, sort of like those yeah. two things that sit together. What do you think, Mish? I think there's a direct correlation between how intensely you love the original Sex and the City and how much you hate yeah. and just like that, or the new Sex and the City reboot. I think I adored the original series. I've watched every episode twice. I'm almost angry that this even exists. I feel like it's destroying a really good TV show legacy and I know a lot of Sex and the City fans feel the same. So I'm a little bit annoyed but I will watch the whole thing because it's easy to watch and I'm there for the ride. And it is clicks like that that make the television producers (laughs) think they should go again. Just 
before we get into it as well, there are, of course, going to be some spoilers in this segment. I would apologise, but the episode's been out a week. And honestly, if you have managed to miss this massive, massive spoiler that happens in the show... Props to you. I will let you jump off this podcast right now. You don't read news publications yeah. if you haven't seen this spoiler. This was on news.com.au, on the Daily Mail, everything. Now, skip ahead if you don't know. I'm sure all of you do know already. The spoiler was that in episode one of the Sex and the City reboot, Carrie's long-term partner and her husband, Big, suffers a heart attack. Now, Big, for those who are unfamiliar always exhibited some pretty unhealthy behaviours on the show, like he's very into smoking cigars, he drinks a lot of wine and a lot of alcohol. He's never taken great care of his body. Now that has changed in the reboot. He's newly into the Peloton bike craze that swept the US in lockdown in particular. The company's been around for a while, but this is very much like a pop culture exercise trend. Absolutely. So he's doing this intense workout on the Peloton bike and very shortly after that, he goes to turn on the shower and crouch down with an acute heart attack. Carrie comes home from a piano recital, <laughs> runs in and sees him. I can't quite work out if she caught him in his final moments or if he'd just gone or left the world or whatever we want to call it. But she is then crouching down with him, holding him, not calling 911, just saying, no. <laughs> Dare I say not my favourite death scene from TV shows. Like the way that this death was carried out, his limbs were still moving around as he was dying or as he was supposedly dead. And I was like, I just saw your finger move. How like, hard would it be? How hard would it be to play dead though? He's a professional actor. Oh, it'd be pretty, it would be pretty hard. Imagine like a slight twitch or a slight like little wink and you're like, oh, I've screwed the whole scene. <laughs> it would be hard. Props to him. Now, when we saw this, Mish, I feel like because Peloton was referenced so explicitly mm -hmm. and they had one of their instructors referenced as well in the show, so many people were like, did Peloton want to be involved in this? Was it a PR stunt for them? Was it product placement almost? Yeah, this would have been a huge conversation topic after the show. I mean, there are lots of conversation topics to come out of the first episode. But the main one when I watched with my sisters was we all turned to each other and said, the Peloton stuff was frequent and it was explicit. And was that paid for? Was it paid promotion, spawn con, product placement? And my sisters were kind of like, I think it is. And I was going back saying, I do not know why Peloton would pay huge money to be associated with the concept of death and heart <laughs> attacks. Like I was watching with Evelyn, yeah. she's a doctor, and she said the most likely time to have a heart attack at that age, or a very common time anyway, is when you haven't been too healthy, you're getting into exercise, and you've just done something really strenuous. You've yeah. just done something like a Peloton workout. For what fucking reason yeah. would Peloton want to be associated with that? So we were kind of going back and forth. And then very soon after, I opened my news tab. This would have been the next day and saw that Peloton's visibility in the Sex and the City reboot contributed to a huge fall in its share price. Yeah, it fell by about 12% in the wake of this episode. So then everybody's like, okay, they likely had nothing to do with it. So Sex and the City airs on Wednesday night US time, but by Sunday evening US time, the company had released its own response, right? It was a television ad, this iconic television ad, and from start to finish, the ad was delivered in 36 hours. Now, if you haven't seen this ad, it is titled, <laughs> He's Alive. Now, Mr. Big, of course, played by Chris North, is seen cozying up next to a fireplace with Allegra, who is a fictional Peloton instructor in the show. Here is a snippet from the ad itself. Should we take another ride? Life's too short not to. 
<laughs> and just like that, the world was reminded that regular cycling stimulates and improves your heart, lungs, and circulation, reducing your risk of cardiovascular diseases. Cycling strengthens your heart muscles, lowers resting pulse, and reduces blood fat levels. He's alive. Given the tight timeline, I mean, the show premieres late last week. We already have a very professional production-esque TV ad airing on the weekend. Conspiracy theories were emerging. Of course, people started to say. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah, like this couldn't really get out so quickly. How would Peloton respond this fast? How would they get the likes of Chris Noth this, in the ad? And then maybe we were like, maybe they were in on this the whole time. Like maybe this was the plan. Maybe this was the long yeah. game. But I was still like, this still doesn't make sense. Anyway, it turned out that the simplest but also the most unbelievable explanation was the truest one and it was that they turned this ad around very, very quickly in the wake of this story dropping. Peloton came out and did a couple of things with this ad. They came out and said, we didn't know that it was going to be associated with the death scene. They knew that the bike was going to be involved, but because of the really tight secrecy around storylines, they had no idea it was going to involve death. They also came out with like health spokespeople to say <laughs> that it's not that likely to have heart attacks and all of those kinds of things to try and rewrite the narrative. And and then with this ad, they also tried to create their own stir and this ad was created with the none other than Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, so fucking bizarre to add to an already crazy story. So Ryan Reynolds is the voiceover on this ad. He's also the guy who had the creative <laughs> idea, who kind of carried it out from concept to actual living, breathing TV ads. So... HBO had no input into the ad. This was entirely the brainchild of Ryan Reynolds' marketing company, Maximum Effort. He said in a statement to Variety, we hope HBO and all involved see this for what it was, a fun way to extend a beloved character into a conversation that was already happening. Just what the fuck is going on here? It's incredible stuff. It's times like this. This is going to sound so dumb, but <laughs> I love ads sometimes. I yeah. know this is so unpopular because it's like, but it's just a brand making more money. And yes, 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 yes. It's the end of the year. Let me have this. <laughs> Welcome to the Gruen transfer, yeah. everyone. But I'm like, how they create stories and like seize moments, mm. like seize this zeitgeist is just clever. Like you really can't say that it's not clever. The Peloton share price is rebounding already. I keep talking to my boyfriend being like, I want one, I want one. <laughs> I've never been on an exercise bike in my life. Also, I, dare I say, this like reminded you of a lot of things. It reminded me of Ryan Reynolds is like a very creative, clever, clever guy. Like what a businessman to see this opportunity, clearly get money from Peloton and put out this ad in 36 hours. That is insane. Coming up after the break, Olivia Wilde says she is happier than ever with Harry Styles. An Aussie influencer and business owner cops flack for comparing running a company to having a child. And Kim Kardashian wakes her kids up every morning with a Grammy award-winning pianist. First, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we're bringing you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle Zara crawling to Christmas McDonald. That sounds about right. Alliteration. We love it. We do love some alliteration. What have you got for us? My first story. Olivia Wilde says she is happier than I've ever been. That is from Vanity Fair. That made it sound like <laughs> Olivia Wilde says she's happier than Zara. Has ever been. <laughs> Olivia Wilde says she's happier than I've ever been. <laughs> well, you know what? She's dating Harry Styles, so she fucking is happier than me. <laughs> That's an easy feat. <laughs> 
Anyway, you guys know what I mean, so let's roll right through. You might know Olivia Wilde. I can't believe we're doing context on Olivia Wilde, but that is the nature of the job. <laughs> From a range of different things. You might remember she was in House mm-hmm. and the OC. That's how I remember her, actually. House doesn't get enough of a rap these days. That was a great TV great show. show. Yeah. Everyone's too yeah. much about Grey's Anatomy. House was better than Grey's, dare I say. Oh, all right. You're yeah, just stop saying, that you're, now. <laughs> you're just saying that to get some attention. I'm so edgy. <laughs> <and> alternative. <laughs> <laughs> she also starred in some Broadway plays, apparently. Now, she was also most notably in a relationship with Jason Sudeikis for almost a decade. We R.I.P. Know. Oh, and just like that, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's over. We are dangerously close from me going off the rails. <laughs> you are silent for a bit. You are silent for a bit. I've got this. Jason Sudeikis we know as Ted Lasso. Now, Jason and Olivia Wilde split in November 2020, Mish. They did. Now, of course, on Friday, Vogue announced the news that their January cover star was, of course, none other than Olivia Wilde. The title of the piece was Olivia Wilde is Living Her Best Life. Now, this is one of the first profiles of Olivia Wilde that I've come across. I feel like maybe she's either been private or this opportunity hasn't announced itself for her before. But this is the most in-depth look we have had at a really famous director and actor. Definitely internationally, like on a platform this big with Vogue. Like it is one of the most iconic covers Mm. you can be on the front of and one of the most iconic profiles you can do. Now... It was to promote her new film, Don't Worry, Darling, which is to be released in September 2022. I'm just intrigued about this. Like, Mm. it's so rare for people to do press this far out. Like, usually the run-up is much smaller. You do it in the month that it's coming out and everybody starts talking about the film. But a lot of the publicity for Don't Worry, Darling is happening over a long stretch of time. I'm a bit sus on this, dare I say. I'm just a bit curious as to why they're doing PR about Harry and Olivia now like it doesn't make much sense to me if you're trying to sell a movie there's nothing to sell yet and also if people want to say well maybe harry's touring and the relationship has heaps of eyeballs on it so it makes sense for her to be the cover star i think that would be just as true in a year's time if they haven't spoken Mm. to the media in a year's time we're desperate more than ever so i'm just confused about that would love to hear more conspiracy theories this is just an episode of conspiracy theories it is about that now the press is spectacularly steamy Mm -hmm. about this film mish it sounds like it's going to be a bit of a sexual movie, which is... <laughs> Have you seen the clip? Yeah. yeah. Of course we've seen the clip. <laughs> and my God, it is interesting. But I want to read this passage that I read straight away and my eyeballs nearly came out of my head. So here is a passage from the profile written by Alexandra Schwartz. About those scenes I watched from the movie, let's just say that one, featuring a hardworking Styles and a most gratified Florence Pugh is going to generate some serious attention. And if the devotion of Styles fan base is any indication, hysteria when Don't Worry Darling is released. Yeah, she went on, when I work up the blushing courage to ask Olivia Wilde about it, she readily volunteers that she intends for her audience to realise how rarely they see female hunger and specifically in this type of female pleasure. You're blushing. Harry Styles is going down on Florence Pugh in a scene, I'm convinced. Of course. <laughs> oh, I love how you're trying to pretend that was some groundbreaking thing to say. That is what they're trying to tell us but I love that the journal was trying to be like about those scenes like guys there's a lot going on here (laughs) now we also heard in this interview that Olivia Wilde is really really happy with Harry Styles she actually doesn't confirm that she's dating Harry in this profile she just refers to a friend every so often that we're given the (laughs) assumption is Harry but she did say that despite 
the furious and unrelenting fans that don't like them as a couple, she's in the best place of her life. Her quote was, it's obviously really tempting to correct a false narrative, but I think what you realise is that when you're really happy, it doesn't matter what strangers think about you. All that matters to you is what's real and what you love and who you love. Yeah, it's also clear, interestingly, that Olivia believes that parenting and having children is what pushed her towards a different relationship. She said parenting forces you to be honest about how you live your life. It puts in sharp, clear focus to decisions you're making. I think we owe it to children to be happy. They sense it. They're so intuitive. The idea you can trick your kids into thinking you're happy is ludicrous. She also touched on the backlash that she has been getting on social media, particularly on TikTok from wild Harry Styles stands who hate her and make that very, very clear in their posts. She said in the past 10 years as a society, we've placed so much more value on the opinion of strangers rather than those closest to us. I'm happier than I've ever been and I'm healthy than I've ever been and it's just wonderful to feel that. There's a little bit of Adele about these quotes when Mm. Adele was speaking about this kind of stuff when she was releasing her album about owing it to your children to be happy and having the sense that they're smart enough to know when you're not happy. Mm. She also said, as you get older as a woman, you put up with less bullshit. I'm only willing to surround myself with people who are positive and root for others. I choose kindness. I choose joy. Interesting. My second story. Brittany Hockley says Nick Cummins blamed her for backlash after The Bachelor. That is from news.com. And look, I know we did a segment on this (laughs) a few weeks ago saying were we too harsh on him but we're coming back. We will never get enough of this story. We're doing it all again. (laughs) So Mish, in case people missed it, Brittany Hockley was dumped in the finale of Nick the Honey Badger Cummins season of The Bachelor a couple of years ago. Now there ended up being no winner and it was like a history-making season for the franchise. Yeah, so Brittany went on Happy Hour with Lucy and Nikki this week and shared that Nick Cummins blamed her for the backlash at the time. She said, Nick wasn't the greatest to me afterwards. I think he blamed me a lot for the hate he got from Australia. I don't think he was expecting Australia to hate him so much. You do so many media interviews after and he was like to me, it's everything you're saying in the media. And I was like, find me one bad thing I've said about you because I've never said a bad thing. I just wouldn't have done it. Well, she's absolutely right. Like she would be contracted or she would have been contracted at the time to do X amount of media. Everyone's asking the same thing. Like you have to talk about it. She is contractually obliged to talk about it. Mm. So it's a really hard position to be in. I'm just surprised that they were talking after or that he wanted to talk to the women after this. So interesting as well. And if it's true that he tried to blame the women for the way he was received by the public, kind of roll my eyes at that. He was paid half a million dollars reportedly to do this show. The women aren't really paid anything. I think it's like a fucking like fee of $70 a day or something. I think it's to cover your expenses and stuff like that. She also said, Brittany also said in this interview, when it happened, the production went into meltdown. You could see it on people's faces. The way they were acting, it was very obvious that most of them were shocked at what just happened. I honestly thought it was me at the end with Nick. I mean, I was still with him the night before at 1am on a date where in a spa having a great time. You get up to record the finale at 8am so it was only a few hours later. Everything he had said and did made me think it was me. Now, I'm so intrigued by this as well, the fact that largely a lot of the production didn't know. Like they would have been absolutely devastated (laughs) that the show they've worked on for months has ended like this. If I ever write a PhD, it's going to be on Nick 
Cummins and this bad <laughs> There is that much. And it's just like, as you said, I can never get enough of it. Like I kind of thought we'd wrapped all our commentary about this story a couple of months ago. It when has we... been three years. I can't. <laughs> I just can't. My third story. Ben Affleck reveals he felt trapped in marriage with Jennifer Garner. That is from news.com. My, oh my. My, oh my. Like, okay, if you miss this, first of all, before I give you all my thoughts on it, because I have so many Ben Affleck this week went on the Howard Stern show and said multiple things that have made multiple headlines around the world. Most notably to us, I know a lot of people are talking about the fact that he said that he wasn't quite sure if he wanted to rekindle with Jennifer Lopez. I mean, he was sure, but sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's semi-interesting to us. The more interesting quotes that Ben Affleck gave in this interview with Howard Stern we're about Jen Garner, his wife of more than 10 years. For those who need the refresher, they were married in 2005, separated in 2015, officially divorced in 2018. He famously cheated on her with Allegedly, the nanny. reportedly. It's never been confirmed. <laughs> and then Jennifer Garner, of course, every time we talk about this subject, we always talk about that iconic cover she did with Vanity Fair <laughs> where she said, when the sun shines on you, you really feel it, but when it doesn't, you really feel out in the cold. So moving. I put every time as well. We're in love with her. Anyway, he admitted on the Howard Stern show that if they had stayed together, and this is a quote, we probably would have ended up at each other's throats. I probably still would have been drinking. He went on, part of why I started drinking was because I was trapped. I was like, I can't leave because of my kids, but I'm not happy. What do I do? And what I did was drank a bottle of scotch and fell asleep on the couch, which turned out not to be the solution. Mm. No one's allowed to tell Ben Affleck that he's not allowed to feel like that. It's just mm. the way that the quotes are phrased are probably not the most emotionally intelligent, it, I don't mm. think, because in many ways for me, even reading it, it looks like he's placing the blame on Jennifer Garner, which I, I hope he didn't intend to do. Yeah, I think your comment of it's not framed in a very emotionally intelligent way is bang on. I think that's precisely what it is. Even if it wasn't his intent, the way he said this and the way these sentences are structured is acting like the bad marriage was the cause of his alcoholism or Jennifer Garner in some way was the cause of his alcoholism. And it just kind of riles me up. Like so many times I try to give Ben Affleck the benefit of the doubt because he's done some really dickhead things over the years or Zara being accused of doing dickhead things <laughs> over the years. Thank you, my girl. <laughs> but I, don't, I just read this and I rolled my eyes and I was like, Ben, really? This woman in Jen Garner stood by you for so long and was so good to you and supported you for three years. After you split, she delayed the divorce to try and get you through this really rocky patch in your life. Are you really going to give these quotes to the media? Give that quote to your best friend. Do you have to give it to the fucking Howard Stern show? <laughs> exactly. He also went on to say, ultimately, we tried. We tried. We tried because we had kids, but both of us felt like we didn't want this to be the model that our kids see of marriage. The truth was we took our time, we made the decision, we grew apart. We had a marriage that didn't work. I knew she was a good mum and I hope she knew I was a good dad. I had to get sober and I acknowledge that. I actually don't have a problem with that quote because mm. it's like, yes, I needed to change my environment. I needed to change my life in order to change myself. But that idea that he pushed a bit earlier of being like, I was trapped, therefore I drank – just feels a little harder to swallow. Yeah, particularly for a guy who reportedly like wasn't exactly trapped in his marriage or wasn't behaving like he was oh, trapped. Oh, God, you, you like a 
have to bring it back to the same place. Allegedly. <laughs> still annoyed. I'm still annoyed. My fourth story. Swimwear designer is slammed for saying her million-dollar business is like having a child after revealing she doesn't want to have kids with her boyfriend of seven years. That is from the Daily Mail. Yeah, many of you listening will probably be familiar with the name Karina Irby. She's an Australian businesswoman behind the brand Moana Bikini. Now, not only does Moana Bikini have half a million followers on Instagram, Karina is a massive name herself. She has more than a million followers on her personal account. This week, she addressed some backlash that she's been getting for about half a year. So earlier this year, she told her followers she and her fiancé do not plan on having kids. The response to that post was really interesting. At the time, she explained, we're selfish. We love our lives together and having the freedom to do whatever we want when we want. Our love and the company of one another is enough for us. We are also busy and obsessed with our work. Running a company is like having a child. You never rest, you're always on, and your love for it continues to grow every day. Now, Zara, some people did not take kindly to this post. Yeah, some of the comments that Karina shared to her feed in response to this included, whilst you may be busy, you can replace your company if it dies. You can sleep when you want to. The list is endless. Please don't compare your company to parenthood ever. Another one said, pretty sure you have a decent sleep most nights and don't have to get up to a crying child, a child who won't settle and a child who is having a night terror. Don't compare it to something you've never done. Yeah, it's super interesting how angry some women in particular were in response to that post. Now, Karina followed up the original post with this this week. My original post about Ryan and I not wanting to have children was not a comparing competition. I was simply expressing that running a busy company along with a lot of other factors fulfills us. Honestly, I find some of these statements a little offensive and misguided. Sleep, don't even get me started. Safety, absolutely your company needs to be safe in the world. Incredibly important. Even more so when you have employees relying on their jobs and you. Weekends, holidays, downtime, non-existent as well. You're non-stop working, planning or just thinking and worrying 24-7. You cannot replace a business if it fails. You literally have to start over from the beginning. I really want to talk about this yeah. because when I saw this post from Karina this week, I was kind of fist pumping a bit. I was saying, yeah, like I don't understand why so many people are offended by drawing a parallel between a business and parenthood. I think for me, when I saw it, I was like, this says a lot about still how underappreciated mothers feel. I think mm. mothers at home with kids because they're like, you don't understand what the weight of this workload is like. I, that's what I kind of got from the comments. But even still, I totally agree with you. I was like, but someone's allowed to say that it's like their child. They are allowed to say that, yes, they lose a lot of sleep about this, that, yes, being in charge of X amount of employees is stressful if their livelihoods are depending on you and the decisions that you make. That is perhaps enough stress for someone to not have children, and it is like having a child. And it felt very almost territorial for some people to say, you can't even compare this to children. Like you can't even compare this to motherhood. And I think in doing that, we get into really murky, murky terrain from some people who say that you will never really experience stress, worry, sleep deprivation or any of the above unless you experience motherhood. Also fulfillment, yes. I think. This was a post about Karina saying they feel incredibly fulfilled. This is their baby. And for people to say, 
you couldn't possibly compare the two things seems to draw parallels between women and fulfillment for me, which is very problematic. Well, that's when it gets into the murkiest of terrains because that's when we start having conversations about like maternal love and whether you understand love if you don't have a child and all of those kinds of like really damaging conversations. Well, it's like whether you could experience the full potential of life if you don't give birth to a kid on this earth in your time. I don't – I just – Reading this and seeing the backlash made me think a lot. Like, obviously, I have huge respect for the mothers in my life. Like, the mums around me do an incredible job and, my God, they are excellent at it. And, of course, it is hard work. But this idea that women have to derive fulfilment and value in their life in one particular way and comparing the two is offensive really grates me the wrong way. Plenty of women want to devote their life to a business and business is fucking hard. You do have dependence on you. And I think that is very similar when you are paying people a salary and you are working your ass off to make that happen. Who's to tell Karina Irby that she doesn't have sleepless nights or she doesn't experience stress? You don't fucking know. (laughs) Well, that's what's really interesting to me in this conversation is, yes, people can feel upset because they, as I said at the start, they might feel underappreciated and underrecognised, but you can't tell someone that they get good sleep. Like you don't understand what their life might look like and what their life might entail. It's just like bluntly not a very good argument if you're making assumptions like you automatically lose the argument dare I say we also struggle on social media and I say this a lot of people I think culturally we struggle with people realizing what is their own shit what is their own stuff in their life that is detached from what they're reading on social media and what is actually about them I think a lot of people would be served by asking themselves the question is this post about me or am I feeling particularly sensitive because something in my life has caused me to feel this way has someone said something to me this week that made me feel undervalued. That's fine. But that's to bring up with the person in your life, not with the person on the internet who has no fucking idea. Well, yeah. And it's something that we try to exercise even between each other. Like when we're talking about something and find ourselves annoyed about something, we always try to say like, is this a me thing or is this a them thing? And having people around you to be like, it's a you thing. (laughs) (laughs) Very humbling. (laughs) My fifth and final story. Kim Kardashian has a Grammy winning pianist play Christmas music to wake her kids every morning of December. That is from People. Yeah, guys, on Sunday, Kim Kardashian revealed that she has hired a pianist to play Christmas music to wake her kids up (laughs) every morning this month. She wrote, every morning during the month of December, at Fill the Keys, comes to play Christmas music on the piano to wake the kids. Alongside that story, she shared a video of the Grammy-winning artist Philip Cornish playing a holiday tune on her piano. (laughs) (laughs) I want this. I Do I want this? Yeah. I think it would be like their alarm system. And I think when you wake up every <gasps> morning. Alarm I think when you wake up every morning to an alarm going, eh, 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 you think, <laughs> yes, this is what I want in my life. December Christmas music to wake me up. What? Like who comes up with these ideas? Like you have so much money. How do you know where to spend it? I mean, I guess they know where to spend it. It's kind of a lovely way to spend money though. Yeah. Supporting the arts. I feel like Kim (laughs) got this idea from that episode of Friends where Joey wakes up with the neighbour guy singing, morning. (laughs) I do not know that thing. You don't know. Yeah, neighbour and they share kind of like there's like a metre between the two apartment windows and every morning Joey wakes up and they sing together. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I remember that. When I watched that episode, I was like, I would love that. I would adore that. Kim's been watching Friends reruns. <laughs> so much news out of the Kardashian family, Kim Kardashian's family in particular, this week. This news came a day after Kanye made headlines after he and Drake joined forces for a benefit concert in LA, which was dedicated to raising awareness about prison.
prison and sentencing reform. Now, he was singing his hit song Runaway and he added some lyrics saying, I need you to run right back, baby. More specifically, Kimberly. <laughs> you can't really be more direct than that. Like, <laughs> It's so confusing because at the one hand, he's like flaunting this new relationship that's I can't work out his real or for publicity. And on the other hand, every time he speaks publicly, he's like, yeah, no, I want to be with Kim. (laughs) Yeah, but awkwardly, it's become very apparent this week that Kim doesn't want the same things as her ex-husband. So according to Vanity Fair, new court documents reveal that Kim has taken a huge step towards actually pushing this divorce through. Last week, it has now emerged that Kim filed papers to the court requesting she be made legally single. So she was the one to file for divorce back in February and requested they deal with matters of like custody and property division separately from their marital status. The filing that's been obtained by People has said that Kanye West has basically ignored everything that Kim Kardashian has tried to put through. He has not signed or submitted any of the papers that she has asked of him. Now, according to People, she's trying to get it done without his signature. So her lawyers told the court, Kardashian has been attempting to settle this manner since she filed her petition for dissolution of marriage in February. Kardashian and her counsel have reached out to West and his counsel several times in an attempt to move this case forward to a speed and amicable resolution. West has been non-responsive. It's awkward. It's awkward yeah. that it's playing out in public for sure, that she's doing one thing, it's making the news, that he is seeing another. And in more chaotic Kim Kardashian news, <laughs> just as a little aside. <laughs> for those who missed it, Northwest is on TikTok now. She has a joint account with her mum. It's all the Kardashian craze. Apparently the kids are joining up with their parents and all creating TikTok accounts together that are going absolutely off. Northwest went live on TikTok this week <laughs> against Kim's wishes. Was she also watching F1? <laughs> well, Kim was in bed watching something and maybe she was re-watching Friends. Maybe, oh. maybe she wasn't. <laughs> now, if in case you missed it, she did a bit of a house tour. So it was like incredibly chaotic. Northwest is like running around the house being like, so like here's my chest of drawers and like was running through the house. And then she ran into Kim's room and said the following. Mom, I'm live. No, stop. You're not allowed to. Okay, bye. It genuinely felt like the most normal kind of habitat that I've ever seen Kim Kardashian, like caught off guard lying in bed on her <laughs> It's so weird to see. Well, it's also kind of weird to see this interaction between North and Kim because the way North dresses and the way they kind of like get her to appear to the world – I just assume that she's eight going on 18 and this is very childlike. (laughs) Yeah, because she is eight. (laughs) She is a child. Anyway, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Hmm. You've got mail. Yes. Those are very powerful words. Mailbag time. Annabelle Lee, are you ready to take it away? Imagine if I was like, no, I'm not ready. Can I have a moment? (laughs) We just edit it out. (laughs) Like we do everything. This listener writes... Hey, shameless mailbag, I need your advice. Can I call out a friend for being too cheap? I get that money can be an awkward thing to talk about with friends. Generally, I don't pay attention, count or tally these sorts of things. But I do have a friend that is so cheap to the point of both annoyance and irritation. This friend has a great job and earns $150,000 per year. But this friend is so concerned about every single dollar, it's driving me up the wall. A few examples that come to mind. One, she insists that people pay for their individual servings and drinks rather than even split the bill evenly. 
Two, when I invited her and her partner over for dinner, where we had prepped a three-course meal and dessert, they brought cider for everyone. Only at the end of the night, they pulled the cider out of the fridge and packed it in their bag before they left. (laughs) And no, didn't invite us for dinner or shout us a meal afterwards. It's not that I feel owed or need anything back. But shouldn't company with friends be more about the time spent, not the money spent? And who cares if we split the bill evenly? But you had one less cocktail? Am I being, ironically, the cheap one for even caring? Or is this something that would irk you too? I have this strange irritation about it all that I struggle to explain. Should I confront her about it? (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Let's do this. Goodness gracious. All right. First things first. I mean, my, my gut feeling listening to that from you, Annabelle, was like, it is so fair enough to be slightly irked by cheap friends. I oh, think yeah. we have all encountered this feeling, all had this slight awkwardness around a dinner table when someone has suggested that they split the bill to the very dollar or the very cent. Like not only because it's slightly inconvenient and it takes a lot of time, but also there always seems to be like $5 missing or like a bowl of chips that someone hasn't paid <laughs> for. So I totally get that there is some annoyance here and that it's a very, very relatable problem. I think this has a lot to do with the concept of generosity, right? Like as someone's friend, I really try to prioritize the value of being generous. Like I really want to be a generous person. And when you don't feel that reciprocated, it can be a little disorienting in a friendship. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it really comes down to what you value in people, right? And I would say generosity is a big one. And I would say that I gravitate to generous people. Like I would say that my friendship group are some of the most generous people that I know. And I love that about them. But I also think just off the top here, one thing I want to say is I do think conversations socially about friends being quote unquote cheap do lack a little bit of nuance, Mm. particularly in your early twenties. I think we don't have enough conversations about the difference between people who can't actually afford to live how you do and people who expect more from you than they do themselves. For example, that person who will happily sit there as everyone buys rounds of drinks, drinks the drinks and then doesn't want to get up and pay for their round. That's Mm. a different story to somebody else being like, I'm just not on that much money. And I know that's not the scenario we're having Mm. here, but I do think it's something important to put on the record. Like, are you calling a person cheap because they can't spend the same way as you? Yeah. And in that sense, it's super important, right? Like people need to check themselves. Exactly. This scenario is a little bit different. I think what's really interesting is that concept of salary that is referenced in this mailbag entry. Do you think that detail matters? I don't know. I mean, when you read out $150,000, Annabelle, I was thinking, well, that is a very healthy salary. This person can probably afford to not be as stingy as they are being accused of. But then the other part of me also thinks, okay, so yeah, they're earning good money. That doesn't mean that they have the same money values as you. Like you could be earning $45,000 and spend your money quite frivolously and find value in spending a lot. You could earn $150,000 and find value in saving money and reaching some kind of money goal. Like just because you're earning a lot does not mean that your money values are going to line up with your friends. And money values are also really complicated. Like a lot of us have upbringings where we experience financial hardship or financial anxiety. And no matter how much we earn, our values are never going to reflect that. We're going to reflect how we felt as a kid, like what was wired into us early on. Is it possible that this friend has money values that are completely different to yours? And that's her right. If she wants to save her money, it's her fucking money. Like just because she doesn't want to buy a cocktail at dinner, you're not entitled to her $2.50. You're not entitled to her $5. It's still her money. It's such an interesting conversation, right? Because I feel like here I'm almost – 
arguing against myself. Like I'm arguing with my head rather than with my heart because what my heart says is I value most in people someone that will happily go to the bar and be like, who wants something? Please don't worry about it. Like I've got this. But is that just like a very foolish Australian value that we have to expect that of people and think that that's like the best kind of person you could be when Mm. in reality it's just like one facet of how to be a good person or is it doesn't even make you a good person? And then I think the other part of this, the more I think about it is like there are different ways to be stingy and different ways to be cheap you are absolutely right like why are we entitled to that $2.50 from someone when they didn't buy that cocktail I think that brand of stinginess when we don't we're not owed anything is very different to when you feel like someone's taking something from you yeah I think there's really two different elements here and what I think about this mailbag is this person's actually not taking anything from you yeah, so I I'm like, that. maybe this is the most palatable type of quote unquote cheap friend. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of see the two examples that this listener gave us to be different. The example of she doesn't want to split the bill evenly. She only wants to pay for what she ordered. I kind of see that as her right. If anything, I think it's the mailbag writer's responsibility. If they go to dinner together and one of them is ordering cocktails or drinking wine, the other one isn't drinking, which lots of young Australians are doing these days. They're sober and that's totally fine and their choice. It's actually your responsibility as the one ordering more and making more expensive decisions to turn to your friend at the end of the night and going, I'm paying more than you because I ordered more than you. That's on you, not on your friend to go, let's split it evenly. Yes, it should never get to the point where the person who does order more and who doesn't drink as much or who might be vegan or vegetarian and not eating meat or anything that costs more money, it is the responsibility of people who are consuming more to acknowledge that other people should pay less. It should never be a scenario where someone has to put up their hand and say, hey, can I please pay less? Yeah, I totally agree. And then the second scenario is a little different for me, perhaps. Is it? So I don't know. So this friend's been invited over to dinner. The people that are hosting are giving them a three-course meal. That is very expensive. They're putting up a lot. You bring – so the friend brought, what, cider for the whole group? Everyone's drinking cider. I do kind of think that's what you're bringing. Like you're bringing that to the house as an exchange. You leave that. You don't then take it with you in the fridge. Like this is a thing, right? I'm literally arguing with my head rather than my heart because my heart says I would never take that. And I I would notice if someone took it back from my house. Like I would notice that. I'm not going to pretend I wouldn't. But I also am trying to argue with logic here being like, but if I'm sitting in this place where I think the worst kind of stingy friend is, is the one that takes things from you. I really do think if the dinner party is over, and I know we're getting technical here, (laughs) and the alcohol has been drunk and everyone's going home, well, what's to say that is not the person who brought the alcohol's alcohol? Do you know what I mean? Like it's not still not necessarily taking from you what you deserve. Yeah, I generally think this is a conversation we need to be having more and more with our friends or just a level of awareness that we need to encourage in ourselves and our partners in particular if you do have a partner. It's important to acknowledge that not everyone will be able to keep up with you or you might not be able to keep up with your friends and it's good to be generally aware of that and not cast judgment about that. That's where, and I think that's what I was trying to set up at the start here to be like, I think these conversations can really lack a lot of nuance Mm. when we talk about them, because I think what does frustrate me in people, probably more than a stingy friend is somebody who has no awareness of the fact that not everybody is on the same amount of money as them and no awareness that perhaps the money decisions that they want to make are money decisions that other people want to make. Also, there's the obvious point here of how many different forms of generosity are there? Like is the person who is not necessarily as generous with money devoid of any other form of generosity? I would argue no. The few people that I've encountered that in my life I would say are, I guess, a bit cheap, are incredibly generous with their energy and their warmth and want to ask questions of you and all of those kinds of things. And it's like, 
I actually kind of am unpacking this in myself as I'm unpacking it with the listener because I'm part of me is like, why why do we get so annoyed at people like this? Yeah. Does it reflect something in ourselves? Yes. Do we feel judged a little bit sometimes? Like say you're going out to mm. dinner with someone and you're choosing to spend a bunch of money and they're choosing to hold back and kind of maybe just get a main and not drink alcohol or order water for the table instead. Is there something in us that goes, this is some type of value judgment on me? Maybe I'm spending my money in a way that I shouldn't be in my 20s in particular? Or is it... I don't know. Is there some kind of insecurity there or is there an idea that unless you are putting up big money in your time with your friends, you're not actually invested in the social engagement? I would say this friend sounds like she's pretty generous with her time. They're spending time together. That's really the main thing, right, as friends, not how much you end up paying at the end of the night. I am so sorry. I'm literally just like that intrigued by this topic because I think you're absolutely right. I think it's one of many things as to why we get annoyed at this. I think if I look back when I was younger and people used to talk about, you know, because people do, people talk about, you know, oh, X person didn't pay for this and oh my God, like Mm. how cheap of them. I actually think looking back, it might have been, well, they're able to get ahead money wise when we are all putting everything up here. Like they are able to save money that the rest of us are deciding not to because we're committing it to the group and to the event and for us to have a good time here. Yeah, and And they're leaning back on you. Yeah, and they're leaning back and they're being selfish and how petty is that? I think it was that. It's like maybe they're able to get ahead because they're not as generous. And that sort of resentment maybe. Yeah. So I do think there are multiple layers. I also think it's just a general pettiness thing. I think people don't like what appears to be pettiness. Like I think cheapness can be petty sometimes and I think we get frustrated by that well this listener has asked us Mish should I confront her about it no I really don't think you do no like it is not to say you aren't allowed to be annoyed and to have these feelings because truthfully I think I probably would as well but what would it achieve like as we said they're not actually taking anything from you they're not actively making your life worse I imagine they're in your life for a reason I don't think a conversation is going to help yeah and in an ideal world yes maybe they would reciprocate your acts of generosity and they would really give that back to you and they would invite you over to dinner and give you a three-course meal but are there other parts about this friend that make them great and make them awesome because <laughs> if the answer's no then bin Fucking take him out to the street and bin him if that's the case. But like, I don't think this will change. I don't think bringing up that someone is stingy is going to change their money values, which are pretty deeply ingrained. Annabelle, Mm. what, what do you think, first of all, and would you bring it up? Well, I think that some of these behaviours are quite common in like my friendship circle simply because we're younger and a lot of my friends are students. So like we do a lot of splitting the bills, like what you consumed, you pay for that, whatever. So none of this really honestly irked me, but I totally understand why it would. I would not confront them because it would just taint all future social interactions, don't you think? Everything's so loaded now. It's like if they go, I don't want to order a latte, it's like, oh, fuck, am I paying for your latte? Like what's going on? When they try to shout you a drink or something and you're like, oh. Oh, I feel awful. Like it's in my mind not worth it. Like your relationship really is not fundamentally affected by this at all. So please just leave it. Dare I say as well, next time you organise dinner, let this friend decide where you're going. That might even give you an indication. Are they picking a restaurant that's far more affordable than the ones you are picking? That kind of stuff. Like, I don't give a fuck about their salary. They might be saving for a house or a car or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think that is all we've got time for. I cannot wait to hear everybody's thoughts in your Say Friday. I don't even know what questions we're going to ask (laughs) because there are so many things to touch on, but it's going to be great as always. We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. That's where you'll find your Say Friday tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. Another 
way you can support the show is click subscribe or I think it's follow now on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That really helps the show out in the charts and finds us new listeners every week. And it's a good time for it because next week, guys, will be our final Thursday episode for 2021. You will still have Scandal episodes running, but I cannot wait for a bit of festive cheer next week. Yeah, it's going to be our Christmas bumper episode. We don't know what it's going to be like, that's what we're calling it. That is our last Thursday episode. We will be off for about three weeks after that. But as you said, Mish, there'll still be Scandal episodes running, so don't stress. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? Nope. No, not as much. Thanks so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Monday. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.